I'm just going to break right into it, saints. Sister Mary, when she came to ARCCC, I was not in a good place. Physically, mentally, and it took a while for me to get to that point. And until a few months ago, I didn't really know how much trouble I was in. Until one night, I was watching one of my favorite TV shows called This Is Us. And just to give you a little background on This Is Us, it's uh, based on a, a white couple named Rebecca and uh, Jack Pearson, where they were expecting a set of triplets. So on the day that she was ready to deliver, triplet number one came, triplet number two came, but the third baby passed. So um, by ha happenstance, there was a couple also that was delivering a child. It was a black couple. They had a little boy. Uh, we're not sure on the show what happened to the mom, but we do know that the dad was the one that took the baby to Jack Pearson and asked him if he would adopt the child. So Jack, having the heart that he does, he took the baby to his wife, and she immediately fell in love with the child. So she took the, they took that baby home with them and raised him as if he was on with uh, Kevin and Kate, who was the other two babies. He, he, they raised that child up in a loving, successful, happy, somewhat dysfunctional household. But to fast forward a little bit, the baby's name was Randall. He married a girl named Beth, and Beth was a very, very successful person. When suddenly there was like a buzz in the air at the job, and she was under the impression that she was going to get a promotion. But when they called her into the conference room, they actually laid her off. And so when they laid her off, she thought to herself, I've been in this job 12 years. I don't understand. And they basically said because of cutbacks, like they do. So after it happened, she tried to go to other interviews. And in her first interview, she was trying to tell them about herself, but she teared up. And when she teared up, she almost started to cry, so she just got up and left. And I said, oh, God, that's me. And uh, she had become depressed. So she started drinking a little more wine than usual. She was hiding her feelings because she felt like she had to be strong for her family. So for months, it went undetected until one day she had a blow up at one of the children at their uh, Girl Scout cookie stand. And when the child confronted her um, for not bringing all the supplies, so the reason it happened is Randall was usually the one, the dad, was usually the one that took the girls for, you know, the stand. But one day he wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't available, so Beth had to step up. So later on, Beth goes home and she enters a bedroom and finds her oldest child there, Deja, waiting for her. And Deja also is a child that Beth and Randall adopted in certain circumstances. So Beth apologizes to Deja for, being, for her behavior earlier and explains that she had been depressed for losing her job. And the child tells her that she should tell Randall because Randall loved her. He loves her. 
and that uh, he had a way about him that would make her feel better. Well, I could identify with Beth because I too was laid off. But the difference between me and Beth is they weren't so nice about it. They basically called me in the office. Well, the lady told me ahead of time that she was going to fire me. But me being the type of person I am, I'm like, no, God ain't going to let that happen. She ain't going to be able to fire me. And so I started praying and hoping, and finally they brought me in the office and told me that, uh, talking about my work performance and this, that, and the other, and I was like, okay, fine, whatever you say. And so sure enough, they decided to let me go. But I did decide to take it a step further. I went on to the board because I wasn't going out like that. I know the type of work ethic I have. I know the type of person I am. And I said, no, I'm not going to let y'all do that to me. So what happened in the end was they, they did let me go. And the reason she let me go was she said that because I was incompetent. But which didn't make no sense to me because I was the one that trained her to do most of her job. And what really hurt so bad, it, it was a blow to me as, as my ego. It was a blow to me as a professional. It was a blow to me as a person with my integrity. And to top it off, if I got fired from that job, which is in CMS, you know how big CMS is, I could not apply for another position in the whole system. So basically, I had to go start all over again. And uh, what made it so tough for me is, when I first started out, I started out as a lunchroom monitor. I was willing to take whatever steps I needed to get to wherever I needed to go. So I started out as a lunchroom monitor, and then I uh, took a job as a substitute secretary. Now, when you have these jobs, you do not have benefits. So then I was finally obtained that full-time position. So, you know, I felt like I was really where I was supposed to be. But it didn't happen like that. So. When I, uh, and you know, it's hard, and, and even in my practice interviews, I had coaches because I went to um, these job fairs and tried to attend those, but it was still tough. And the reason I could identify with Beth is when I went into my practice interviews, I was still tearing up. I told Melanie about it a few months ago, and I was still teary about it <laughs> after this has been like six, seven years ago. So, um, and the problem with it is I didn't know how to explain to somebody after being 50 years old how I got fired from a job that I loved and did very well, very well. You know you're doing well when you train professionals how to do their job. So I filed for the unemployment. I was able to draw it for this reason. She was fired by no fault of her own. I said, Lord have mercy, that's got to be God. Whoever fired somebody from no fault of their own? So uh, I was going to receive the unemployment, and they gave it to me for a whole year. Well, I guess y'all know after they did what they did to me, I went home and sat on it for a whole year. But what I decided to do was take that time to go take, uh, take care of my mom. Uh, she lives in Durham, North Carolina. She's doing okay. She's still living. And uh, she needed somebody to around the house, you know, to help clean up, uh, take her to a doctor appointments, grocery shopping, 
because out of eight brothers and sisters, nobody was really helping except one, a sister, every now and then. Well, saints, needless to say, eventually the unemployment fund started to deplete. And I said, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And in the meantime, God led me to an agency that would either partially or fully pay for your mortgage, if you qualify. And I remember thinking nobody does that, but I went on and applied for it anyway. And soon I received that letter of intent to foreclose in 30 days. I said, Lord, I know you're always on time, and I'm going to wait for you to step in. And sure enough, he did. I received a notification, and they uh, qualified me for the program. They caught my mortgage up three months, and then they turned around and paid my mortgages and my taxes for the next two years. Lord, have mercy. And then... Um, one of my daughters, so I decided to, I wanted to move one of my daughters in the house because I needed somebody in the house so, you know, the house would look lived in. So I encouraged one of my daughters uh, to move in because she was working part-time and she was having a tough time. So I told her, go ahead on and move in. But the only thing I wanted her to do was pay the utilities and keep that house clean. And she did okay with that. She did well. Well, months later, by now I have another daughter staying there with her three kids, and the first daughter was staying there with one kid. When about six o'clock in the morning, a fire broke out. Fire broke out, they all, but um, six lives were spared. I thank God for that because for some reason, they said that year it was a lot of fires in Charlotte, and it could have been one person in the house and they died, two people in the house. God spared six people in that house that night. And prior to that fire, I had been attending a regular church in Durham. Y'all, whenever I get out of town, if I'm out of town on a Sunday, I got to find me somewhere to feed my spirit. So uh, I started uh, going, attending a church full time in Durham. And then I remember the uh, Lord laid something on my heart. He said, read Job 116. 1.16 says, I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And then the following Sunday, the pastor at Mount Level preached on that sermon. I almost passed out in my chair, Lord. Lord have mercy. I said, Lord, 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 God is in this house. So while I was traveling back and forth to Charlotte to Durham, you know, to kind of take care of my mom and to keep a check on the progress of the repairs, I was thinking about how good God is. I said, Lord, you've been so good to me. What am I going to do? What can I do to thank you? And matter of fact, I forgot to tell y'all to begin. The name of this uh, speech is ask God what he wants to do for you. Ask God what he wants you to do for him. So I asked him, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And a few minutes later, the phone rang. It was a lady calling me from uh, Mount Level named Miss Barbara. She said, Mary. She said, this is uh, Sister Barbara from Mount Level. I said, she said, how you doing? I was like, I'm good. She said, um, what are you doing Sunday morning? Are you available Sunday morning? I said, yes, ma'am. I, I plan on being in the church Sunday morning. Well, uh, would you open for the morning service? I paused for a minute, 
Zipporah don't see me do that. <laughs> I paused for a second. I said, a church that size? I said, uh, Sister Barbara, I have never opened up for a church that size. Now, y'all look up Mount Level um, Missionary Baptist Church. It is beautiful. It is huge. The first thing you see when you see the front of that church is a big angel uh, painted over the, the front window. The church looked like a cathedral. It's, it's beautiful. It's huge. It's got a big membership. So I was a little bit intimidated, but I hesitated, but I said, uh, no, I would do it. She said, because I had just asked God what he wanted me to do. I couldn't say no. So she said, uh, well, can you be there at 730 that morning? I said, uh, yeah. She said, you come in and uh, uh, get the prayer from Sister So-and-So. I forgot what her name is. And uh, then be on the podium by 7.45. Now, I wanted to say this to y'all. What time is Master Life, Pastor? 9.15. They asked me to be there every Sunday. They want you there at 7.45. And if you're going to be on the podium, you got to be there at 7.30. Then our Bible study started about 9.15, lasts to about 10. Then they take a little 30-minute break. And then you, uh, they start a second service at 10.30. So they have two services, and then uh, their Bible study, and then the other service. So I get there, and I meet with the sister. But uh, no, I'm sorry, y'all. Let me back up. So I'm still on the phone. I was, I'm still on the phone with uh, Sister Barbara. And she said, well, I won't be there, so can you meet with sister so-and-so? I said, I said, sure. She said, okay, thank you, love you, bye-bye, and then hung up the phone. So I told my sister about it, and she said, uh, she just called out of the blue just like that? I said, yeah, mm-hmm. Then I said, we need to go shopping. She said, well, come on, let's go. Then I made the mistake of saying, I hope God don't let me make a fool like myself. And my sister Liz said, well, you the one after. So I said, okay. She said, well, come on, let's go shopping. She said, I'm going too, because I got to go see this. And we did. And during that time, also, y'all, I had a habit. I loved my drinks, and I loved to smoke. So, uh, but it didn't start out, you know, like big. It's, it always starts small. And then it went from a little bit to a lot. And then it went from a lot from too much. So at first it was like wine. And back in the day, you used to go buy these big jugs of Julio Gallo, and I kept one in the refrigerator all the time. Then it went from wine to drinks every now and then to daily. But it, it never stopped me from going to church. I always took a shower those mornings, and. Didn't smoke until after the service, and then when I got in the car, I'd wait till I was further down the street where I didn't think nobody was looking. And then I'd light it up. Then I'd go home and uh, run my mama's errands for her, or whatever she needed me, do, needed me to do. I'd cook dinner for her, serve her. Then as soon as I thought I was done with her, I had my drink and I had my cigarette. I did not realize at that time but the loss of that job was about to destroy me. I basically had checked out. 
I had too much time on my hands. And what do they say about too much time on your hands? An idle mind is devil's playground. Thank you. I had too much time on my hands. It's true. But I've also heard people say something else. They say, God don't bless mess. Well, I'm a walking, living testimony that he will bless you in your mess. Praise the Lord. I was seeing advertisements about how much it costs people to spend money on cigarettes, just cigarettes alone, and not to add the drinking on top of it. I thought about all the things I could have had that was worthwhile. What was one of them, Pastor Mellon? <laughs> That's all right. One of them is a car. Oh, yeah. I could have had a car. I could have been on vacation. I could have paid off my house. And y'all, even in all this, I always paid my tithes. Uh, tell you the truth, I won't tell you about it tonight, but I'm scared not to pay my tithes. I've had uh, an experience about not paying tithes, so. If I have a dollar, I'm going to give it down. If I have $2 and that's all I have, you're going to get 20 cents. The only problem with me about that, and it's not a problem, I don't like giving change. So <laughs> I, if I had $2, I'm going to give that other dollar. Because I've seen experiences where if you gave, if you only had $2, and you gave another person that $1, that $1 can triple, double, 100 times, 20 times, you can go from having that $1 to having $100. You can go from having that $1 to having $200, and so on and so forth. But I've always trusted my God, and I've al I always prayed to him. No matter what I was doing, I was like, Lord, you're gonna, yeah, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. And if you're going to want me to stop, you're going to have to help me quit. That's how I talk to him. That's my daddy. I can talk to my daddy. But at some point, he told me that was enough. It's enough. Because sometimes, y'all, I would wake up in the morning, and my eyeballs would be throbbing. It was like they had a, a pulse in them. I could actually, like, see the something throbbing, a vein or vessel. I don't know what it was. And my eyes be so red. It was like one of my brothers said one time, he said, your eyes so red, they look like you've been using hot sauce for eye drops. And I couldn't pour enough visine in my eyes to get that red out. Then if, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to August. This August just passed. I had a really crazy dream. In that dream, I was in a barn. And something had me pent down. I really couldn't see it, but I was pent down backwards on a table by my wrist. And I couldn't move. I was fighting. I was trying to fight. And I started calling on Jesus. I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The thing mocked me. He said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I said, what in the world is this thing? I said, Jesus, where you at? And I looked around him, and it was a bunch of little black goats running around in a circle, running this way and running that way. I was like, oh my God, you got to get me up out of this dream. I don't know what this thing is. I'm tired of fighting with this thing. And come to find out later on, I heard Shirley Caesar sing a song about the strong man. 
So I started, oh my God. And I woke up and I said to myself, what in the world, what's that all about? And then a few la days later, I spoke with a brother of mine named Dwight. We talk, me and Dwight talk a lot because Dwight has some serious stories to tell. I wish I could get him down here so he could tell y'all some of that stuff. The boy's amazing. But I called Dwight and told him about the story. And I said, uh, Dwight, I explained to him what happened. And he said, Mary. Dwight talked kind of slow. He got a drawl. Like, <laughs> it's like mix, a combination of like a New Yorkian and a a southerner, I don't know what it is. It's a serious draw, but it's cute. But he said, Mary, I had a dream too, and I didn't know if I submitted it to you until now. He said, can I have the children stand up? Do y'all mind? Children, stand up, all my children. All of them. <laughs> Come here, Lana. Let me ask you to do something for me right quick. If y'all don't mind, I want all y'all to come up here to the front. Would y'all oh. follow her? No. 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 That's what it said. And what had happened was, y'all could have a seat. I just wanted y'all to hear that no. What had happened was he said it was a leader in the dream with me. And the leader called on the kids, asked them to come up and said, would you follow her? And all the kids said no. I said, oh. What you mean, no? What y'all talking about? <laughs> and so they was all like about that age, somewhere between, most of them was a little old. I think Dwight said between the age of 12 and 15, but I didn't want to leave nobody else, so I called them out. And I said, Lord have mercy. What's wrong with them kids? Not what's wrong with them. What's wrong with the kids? So I asked a few people about the dream, you know, people I could talk to, because everybody can't understand this. You can't tell everybody about supernatural stuff. They, so everybody won't agree. But so I talked to strong people like Leisha at the time, and uh, it was another lady at the other church that I went to, her, and somebody else, I forgot. But uh, first person said, children's ministry. I said, no, I don't think it's that, because the kids said no. <laughs> and then uh, somebody said that goats represent evil spirits. Alicia said, rebellion. I said, okay. Uh, kids said no, evil spirits, rebellion. So then I remember some situations with friends that I have. And uh, couple of those friends are my neighbors. I'm going to tell you right now, we hang out real tight, most of us. We, we get along pretty good. Lisa know who one is in particular. I won't call his name because I don't know, you know, when it'll air. But uh, hanging out with those two, on this particular evening, it was the younger one. And uh, what happened, he came in the house and asked me, did I have anything to drink? And I said, yeah, it's over there in the cabinet. You normally go over there and get it. What you ask me that for? He said, I just wanted to see what you would say because I know you was a bad influence on me. I said, you're a bad influence on yourself. I didn't ask you if you wanted it. You asked for it. 
And then on another day, I had another friend who stopped by to hang out, and we was drinking and talking about this and that, sharing stories, and we was having a good time. When out of the blue, he asked me why I go to church and why I pay tithes. I said, one, because I believe in God and Jesus Christ, and I feel like I get something from the body of Christ. And I said, two, it helps, you know, take care of the church, help keep the lights on. And the Bible said, pay your 10%. So it's a really sensitive subject to me about the tithes. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, so, of course, it sent me into something because I said, I'm afraid not to pay my tithes. So he, then he turned around and said, well, at my church, we only pay $1 or $2 if we want to. So I told him, I said, well, good luck keeping the lights on over there. And then I, I asked him why he thought it was okay to, to pay that little bit of money when he made thousands of dollars in a month. He said he'd rather spend his 10% on his grandson than to give $100 to, on a thousand to a church. I said, okay, fine. Good luck keeping the other 90%. That's what I told him. I said, uh, then the next question, this the one sent me over the edge. He asked me, why do I smoke and drink? He said, why do you smoke and drink when your pastors tell you not to? I said, first of all, because I'm in my own house. I'm out of my own business where I pay my bills. And furthermore, uh, including kicking you out. Time to go. <laughs> Goodbye. And we used to talk about the Bible, me and the son. We used to get together and talk, but... I told him that God was real, Jesus was real, and God loved him, but his com comments were frustrate, frustrate me so bad that we had to stop discussing it. I said, but my Jesus was okay when you didn't have a job and I prayed for you, and you got one. My Jesus was uh, good enough for him when he couldn't find his son so we go to the education building so he can visit the boy at school. My Jesus was okay when he had evil spirits running around in his room in a, in a room that his daddy left and put him in. My Jesus was good enough for you for that. My Jesus was good enough for you when I, Lord, put on my mind to give him some scriptures to read and put something in his pocket to carry around with him. And the things left. My Jesus was good enough for him when I anointed his head and prayed over him so he could get past this stuff. Because I love that boy. So my, G my Jesus worked in all his circumstances. For him to turn around and have a nerve to say to me, he don't believe in the Bible because men wrote it. He don't believe in God, but he believe in a creator. I was like, man, you're confused. Get out of here with that mess. And shake that dust off your feet on your way out. So I'm in the, my feelings now. Because I'm like, how dare he say something like that to me? How dare he come over my house with his lopsided opinions, sitting on my deck, eating my food, and disrespect me and my Jesus in my own house? I'm going to say this. The world is watching, and they're checking everything Christians do. Despite the problems that they have and stuff they do, they don't have no problem checking us in our own yard. 
They don't have no problems checking you in your own house. And they show them to prove that they don't mind checking you up in your face. So the situation was clear to me that the dream was intentional. At this point, it meant I was, be I was being a bad influence, setting a bad example for others, for my children, for my grandchildren. Then I would take my babies to the A.B. college with me for that stuff. God is merciful. He is patient. And yes, he does. Bless and mess. A.B. college. I apologize in front of all these people, Nathan, Ryan, and Lana, and my pot pie, and Jameson, for taking y'all with me to the A.B.C. store, even if I did leave you in the car. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Ooh, Lord. The reality of the situation is if I'm going to talk to Jesus, talk to people about Jesus, especially non-believing people, I can't have no alcohol on my breath. I can't be smoking cigarettes. Because those two, I think I said this, I might have wrote it down twice. No, I didn't. Those two didn't have no respect for me. They didn't have no respect for my debt. They didn't have no respect for my house, and they sure didn't have no respect for my Jesus. So this is where I get to the point again, and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? So I attended a church as a child. My mama took me to a church called Church of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Apostolic Faith. And I was um, dedicated to that church for a long time. Now, y'all, this church is really holy, what they used to call uh, holiness, apostolic, long dresses, hat on. You ain't there coming to that church with no hat on. Them sisters will pull you to the side and either find you a, um, find you a hat, a scarf, or a napkin to put on your head. That's how strict they were in that church. So about eight years ago, I decided to follow my daughter, Alicia, the church she was attending. But uh, as we was there, we started out, that church started out with quite a few members. When I went in there, I want to say it was at least 150 members in there, if not more, somewhat. It went from 150 to 100 to 50 to 20 to 10. With me being number 10. <laughs> because by now, Alicia and Nate, they gone. They left me there. But the reason I stayed, in all honesty, is because for the love of that bishop. Because I didn't really feel like he was a problem. But if, if a church has an administration that's working against the congregation, even though that bishop is humble, and he is one of the most humble people I know on this planet that I know, other than Jesus. Humble person. But if the administration is not following the same direction uh, that he's giving, it could cause the church to fall apart. I was, but, uh, I was paying my tithes, but I wasn't really doing anything anymore. Uh, the music had left because Nate left. I was performing my duties as secretary. I wasn't performing my duties as secretary anymore because the regular secretary, she was deciding to call on, you know, whoever she wanted to to perform the duties. 
Uh, we wasn't visiting the sick and shut, on, shut in anymore. So now I'm starting to get bored. So now I'm ready to leave. It is time to change churches. But Lord, where am I go? I get a call from my daughter, Alicia and Nate. They say, Mama, we want you to come visit our new church. We think you'll like it over here at ARCCCC. I said, she said, God's spirit is in this house and it'll change your life. God dropping breadcrumbs now. So I arrive at Ayers and as soon as I step through the vestibule, I hear them singing and praising and it captures my heart, my ears, and my mind right away. I said to myself, I said, my children might be on to something around here. And then Minister Sammy and Minister Jackie and others greet you at the door, smiling. Telling you to come in like they know something. They shake your hand, give you a hug, ask you, is you okay today? Yes, I'm fine. I said, well, thank you. And Minister Lamar, he steps up and he say, hey, sister, you doing okay? Yes, I'm good. Then he'll start offering you water and snacks. I said, what in the world going on around here? <laughs> Wonderful people, lovely people, godly people, sweet people. The people over here are so sweet, I said, if you stand too close to them, they'll give you temporary diabetes. I'll be over there clutching my pearls like, what is wrong with them? And I said, praise the Lord for sweet people, sweet young people too. And young people that's in the right atmosphere, they're going to be sweet. These that we have here, thank the Lord for them, they uh, cater to older people too. You know, that's special to us when we get old and Young people open the door for you and hold it for you when you're coming in. I said, sweet, sweet, sweet people. Make sure I don't skip no pages. Then I step into the sanctuary and I look to the right on the pulpit as Pastor Melanie and her heirs, inspirational choir, Singing praises and glorifying the Lord, happy about it too. Then I'm immediately comfortable with the atmosphere. Then I spot my children across the room, my heartbeat. And later, Pastor Keith steps to the pulpit, delivers the word of God with boldness, certainty, with uh, scriptures, conveying a message that's easy to follow most of the time, enthusiastically, <laughs> truthful. <laughs> Y'all know he moves a little fast sometimes. But blah, 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 blah. And even hurtful, but it's inspiring. And I feel good about the location, so I decided to join. <laughs> then later, I got sick. I was diagnosed with walking pneumonia. I was treated, with the, treated for the symptoms, but had not, nothing had quite gone away. It's like it was something waiting in the background. And I was like, okay. But the Holy Spirit said to me, it's enough. It's time to quit smoking. It's time to quit drinking. And saints, it had got so bad where when I would smoke my cigarette, I'd turn around and have to use an inhaler to catch my breath. Lord, it was bad. It was sad. Then later, pa later Pastor Melanie met me and asked me some questions about my background. I told her some things. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I had to be Miss Mary, so you know. <laughs> and I don't want nobody to think I'm weak. And she asked what you would like to do. I told her some of my background about the administration or whatever. 
And she said, well, I want you to be part of my admin team. I said, okay. She said, you okay like that? I was like, absolutely, whatever you want me to do, Pastor Melanie. And then I get a call from Sister Tanya. Then another day I get a call from Sister Zipporah. She say, Miss Mary, Pastor Melanie wants you to invite you to join the intercessory, intercessory prayer team. And I paused for a second. I said, huh? Intercessory prayer team? I was like, yeah, okay. She said, well, like, can you meet us tomorrow? I believe that was a Friday. Thursday? Support Friday. And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh. So, like I said, again, I hesitated. But that day, when I was working in my master life, I, I was answering questions. Certain questions. It asked you a question about what you wanted to do, something like that. What you want to do, uh, do you know, to, to further yourself and this, that. And I answered it, and Zipporah called me. I don't think it was two hours later after I finished. I had to finish what I was doing, and then she called me. She didn't interrupt the master life. God didn't interrupt the master life list. He waited until I was through, and Zipporah called me. And I had to explain to her the next day what had happened. Because I didn't want support to think, you know, that I was putting off on the phone or something. She said it. Huh? I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I knew when they asked me to join those teams that I had something that I had to do. I can't be tarrying to receive the Holy Ghost. I can't be tarrying to pray with alcohol on my breath. I mean, alcohol in my system, smoke on my breath, taking smoke breaks using inhalers and puffing. So I asked God, again, to help me quit. Then I began announcing it to my friends. I'm going to quit. I'm finna quit. Y'all better get used to it. The beer finna dry up and the liquor fixing to dry up. I'm fixing to quit. I even challenged one of my brothers. I said, if you quit, I'll buy you a steak dinner. He said, okay, I like that. Then one Sunday after altar call, doing altar call, Pastor Keith asked if anyone wanted to rededicate their life to Christ. And I stepped right up, went home, started reading the Bible more, reading inspirational literature, performing the exercises in the master life. And then in January, in January, then a few weeks later, I was in a lesson that tells you to get a separate sheet of paper and write down all the things you do that displease God. And then it said, uh, and of course I wrote those things down and some other stuff. And I said, uh, then it said, after you do that, then read uh, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to give us our sin, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then it tells you to either tear the piece of paper up or burn it. I burnt mine. Outside, of course. Now, this was Friday, February 8th. Okay? And then I was led to read uh, Galatians 5.19, which is walk by the Spirit. And Galatians, uh, I'm sorry. Galatians 5.19, the walk by the Spirit. And Colossians 3, 1 through 14, put on the new self. And then I said... Lord, I can't do it by myself. 
I can't do it without you. I said, please help me. I don't want to smoke no more. I don't want to drink anymore. Take the taste, taste, test, take the taste away from my mouth. But I said, Lord, I got one thing to ask. Don't let me gain all that weight. I don't want, I'm short. I don't need all that weight. It's only going to give me a new problem. So then after that, uh, now y'all remember, it's, it's the weekend. It's Friday. It's the weekend. Miss Mary's still doing her little stuff. Still smoking and doing a little drink. And then Friday passed, and then Saturday passed. Sunday morning, February 10th. What is it about them 10s? Oh, my God. I was woke up from my sleep. About 6 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't barely breathe. I was taking what I call a half breath. You know, you blow out and breathe in. I couldn't do that. I was like, barely breathing. My eyes was this big because I said, oh, Lord, help me. I can't breathe. And I had to muster up just enough strength. Just so happened that weekend, my baby girl was in town. But the daughter that stayed with me, um, I knocked on her door and told her, I said, call the ambulance. I can't breathe. Right now. And so immediately I began praying. I said, oh, Lord, help me. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I said, is this the day I'm going to die? And then I went back in the room, and I used what you call a nebulizer. Anybody don't know what a nebulizer is? It's a breathing uh, instrument where you put fluid into it, and you put it in your mouth, you turn the machine on, and you breathe the medicine in. It's a mist. So it wasn't working. So I threw it on the bed. I said, this ain't doing me a bit of good. So I went in the bathroom. I washed my face. I brushed my teeth. And then before I could get out of the bathroom good, the paramedics was in the house. Coming up the hallway, and uh, they told me to sit down. My daughters had to speak for me because I was just that out of breath. They put oxygen on my face. They took my vitals. My blood pressure was 210 over 95. Then they put me in the ambulance and mixed what uh, Macon, the EMT, his name was Macon, what Macon called a respiratory medicine cocktail. With the help of one of my daughters, the one that came up, she's a um, medical assistant, so she helped him out, and which made the process go a little faster. He said he was glad to have her there. I said, thank the Lord. So soon we arrived at the hospital. They took me to the ER, got me stabilized. And around, around noon, they sent me up to my room. They told me already I wasn't going back home that night. So I must have looked terrible, y'all, because when I got to that room, one of the nurses said, asked me if I wanted um, the chaplain. And I said, no. I said, mm-mm. I said, and the reason I said no, it wasn't because I didn't want to talk to a chaplain. It was because when she said chaplain, I automatically identified it with, as a Catholic. And I ain't need no Catholic coming in there praying for me. Not today. I needed Jesus Christ. I needed a Christian to pray for me today. But I did tell her I would take the Bible. I said, I want a Bible. Do you have a Bible? So she retrieved it. It's like she 
went around the corner and came back like bewitched with that Bible. That's how quick she went and got it and brought it back, just that fast. Then I requested prayer for my family and friends. My children visit with me, and one or the other will stay with me during the day. And I thank God for them. Pastor Keith and Melanie called and prayed for me. Thank y'all and sent me flowers. But that first night, y'all, it was rough. I couldn't sleep. I was restless. I was scared to turn off the lights. I kept waking up during the night, and I eventually got this little pingy, pingy headache. And my joints was aching. So the next morning when the nurse came in, she asked me if I had been up all night. I said, no. Uh, I just kind of been like off and on going to sleep. I said, but I got this little pingy headache I can't get rid of and my joints aching. So she gave me some pain medicine. But the next, that, uh, that Monday, God laid it on my heart to go ahead on the send for the chaplain. So I did. I sent for her. And when she came in the room, first thing I asked her, I said, what's your denomination? And she said, Baptist. I said, and I explained to her why. She said, good, because God knew what you needed. So we talked a little while, and I told her, you know, what my issues were. And uh, then she left. But to fast forward this a little bit, y'all. After what I had been through, and me asking God to help me out, he basically delivered me from that affliction. Now, that happened on February the 10th. Today is March the 9th. I have not had another cigarette or another drink in my mouth since. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 